Welcome to our next podcast. Today's topic is visualising success and I'm very grateful to have with me Eve Newsom, who is a professional musician and also a academic at the Con Conservatorium of Music Griffith University in Queensland. And um, yeah, really interested to talk with you, Eve, about how you use this tool, this psychological tool of visualisation um, in performance. So thanks very much for agreeing to take part in the interview. Oh, my pleasure. And um, I've just outlined briefly what you do, but maybe if you can share with us um, yeah, what it is, like a brief overview of, of what you do. Well, yes, I've been performing as a classical musician for about 35 years, primarily as an oboist. I played with the Melbourne Symphony for many years and with um, Orchestra Victoria and also uh, toured and have traveled a lot as a musician uh, and played with a lot of different orchestras um, on tour, for example, the Australian Chamber Orchestra, um, Singapore Symphony um, and so on. So mm. I've had a really diverse um, orchestral experience as a professional mm. yeah and then also as a lot of professional orchestral musicians do I've performed in chamber music ensembles because it's just lovely to play in smaller groups and you feel this camaraderie with people and you can play a whole lot of different repertoire in that genre and on top of that I've played a lot of solo recitals and um, concertos with orchestra. And so really I've done a, a huge variety of mm. performances. I've even played with the band Kiss. Really? came out. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I've had some really fun times. Um, so what did then, you, what, what instrument were you playing with Kiss? Well, I was playing the oboe and also the cor anglais. So, yes. And I've... Um, played with you know different bands and groups over the years uh, wow. as things come up and you know also recordings uh, for soundtracks for movies and ads and yeah so on yeah oh, you um, certainly had um, as you say a great diversity of, um, of experience with, with different performances a lot of different environments to to perform in yeah exactly yeah I really love that actually about it it's just it is so varied and you get um, invitations to do a whole range of fun things. Um, so, yeah, that's been my main thing. And then over the last um, sort of 25 years or so, so not long after I became a professional uh, oboist and core anglais player, I began teaching at university and I taught uh, for many years at the Victorian College of the Arts and at the University of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And I was primarily teaching um, practical, uh, in the practical side of things. So oboe lessons, um, chamber music, orchestral kind of tutorials, performance classes, that type of thing. And um, as I went on, I, I be became really quite fascinated in what motivates people to practice and to perform. Mm -hmm. And also um, about the, the pitfalls, the the problems that uh, musicians face uh, in what is a really quite, you know, rigorous and can be very pressurised and stressful uh, performance environment. 
And so I added on to my practical teaching, uh, the teaching about um, the psychological side, if you like, mm -hmm. um, thinking about how we can encourage musicians to take a more positive approach um, to, to what they're doing, to feel confident uh, in themselves. And then, of course, that brushed off on, on me. <laughs> and I, uh, I felt that was really helping me as well. Uh -huh. um, so that's been a really, really important part of my journey as a musician and in my desire to help others, both professionals and students. Wow, you must have a lot of energy to uh, to do all of that. That's um, that's pretty amazing. And with everything that you do, is there something that you you particularly love about about the different roles that you have? Um, is there something that stands out, or do you actually really enjoy having this diversity as the main aspect? I actually do really love the diversity. I love the sort of adventures that I can have with that and meeting different people and being in different contexts. And mm -hmm. of, of course it has its challenges because you, you're being called upon, you know, in different ways. Uh, but that's something that, that, yeah, I, I do really enjoy that. And I've always loved traveling as well. So, um, you know, I've been really fortunate that to be in this profession in this way, so that I've been able to travel to so many different countries and places and, yeah, I'm always looking forward to, to more of that as well. Mm. Sounds like a, an ongoing adventure, your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, how, how has flow come into uh, your life and, and your work? Can you just explain how, how you learned about flow and what, what attracts you to flow? Um, well, I can remember a kind of pivotal moment when I was playing in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and I was having lunch um, with some of my girlfriends from the orchestra. And we started talking about how we felt about our own playing. And mm -hmm. each person sort of was contributing um, sort of anecdotes, I guess. And it came to this sort of point in the conversation where it was really obvious that um, most of us, you know, at some time or other, had a real crisis of confidence Mm -hmm. um, and some some people were talking about how after concerts, you know, they cried on the way home, and and I started thinking about my own inner world and my own sense of self in relation to my music making um, because performance is a very personal thing in the sense that you're really putting yourself out there. You know, um, you're really vulnerable if you like. Um, in those moments of, of performing and yeah mm -hmm. it's it made me start to think about well okay um if all these people I'm talking with are really high level professionals they've been very successful in in an external sense you could mm -hmm. say you can see yes they've got these great jobs that they've had to compete for and audition for so I started to wonder why we weren't generally more confident in ourselves um, and so that led me to think about the different theories um, of, of motivation, if you like, like what mm -hmm. motivates people to do things and uh, what about, you know, positivity and mm -hmm. um, where does our confidence come from and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all those sort of allied things. 
And at first I just started reading, you know, the, the sort of pop, you know, psychology books, I suppose you could call them, you know, how to be more confident or, you know, lose your fear or I can't remember all the titles, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and then I came to realise that there were some, uh, there was research um, in this area that um, could actually be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and around about that time, there was a visiting professor who came to the Victorian College of the Arts. I saw a poster up and it said um, he was a professor who was going to be demonstrating and talking about a flow or optimal experience. And because I'd already heard about that a bit in my reading, I thought, oh, that sounds really, really good and really interesting. So I came along on a Saturday and I remember it very clearly, but my husband came as well, because at that time he was studying psychology. So it was okay. all sort of coming together, if you like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And he'd previously uh, been a musician. So that sort of all factored in. So we came along and um, we were sitting there and it sort of literally probably in about the first five minutes, it was um, the lecturer was Andreas Berzik by the way, who has his own websites and so on, um, where he's talking about um, his work into uh, flow and his experience as a musician. And um, can you just spell his last name, Berzik? Um, it's B-U-R-Z-I-K. Um, and he, I don't know if he's still working in Bremen, Germany, but that's where he has been based. Okay. Yeah, so within about five minutes, I realised this is what I've been looking for, but I didn't know, <laughs> didn't know I was sort of. Sure. Um, so yes, we became um, uh, friends and, at that time and started talking about flow. I watched his demonstrations. I thought about how that applies to professional musicians, um, and really that was the pivotal uh, moment that Saturday. Uh, where it really opened up my eyes to a whole range of different ways of thinking and being that generally in music we're not exposed to. Yeah, that's right. So how many years ago was that, Um, It would have been about, I think about 20, 20 years ago or so. All right. And so since that time you've been interested in flow and flow in music? Yes, exactly. And I began to think about how um, it would be really great to develop a method um, that could be easily communicated um, via different sources. So it could be, you know, written or taught one-to-one or, um, you know, by reading about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really uh, led me to be teaching uh, flow techniques both privately and at university here at, at the Conservatorium of Music in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm running a course currently called Optimal Performance Practice. And within that course, we, we cover a whole lot of other um, issues to do with practising um, because, because I can see how there are so many factors that link together. So, for example, the traditional teaching of practice may have had some elements of uh, flow 
um, according to which practice method you use, you know, um, or which teacher you had. And uh -huh. others, others may have no references at all to um, optimal experience or positive thinking or anything like that. So I'm really sort of happy to be kind of in the, in the um, center of all of that, if, if you know what I mean, where I'm, I'm looking at all these different practicing ideas and all these different things that influence our performance and central inside there is, is all the flow uh, information and all the flow ideas. Mm -hmm. And you've been, you developed this course, Optimal Performance Practice at the Conservatorium, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, it's been running for a, a couple of years now and it's been really, I'm really excited about it actually, because I feel like it just gets to the core of um, what it means to be a musician, um, mm -hmm. how we can achieve our potential, what, you know, where our power can best be um, placed, if you like. Mm. And within your optimal performance practice course, uh, is visualisation covered as part of the content there? Yes, it is covered. It's covered in several different ways. Um, mainly the primary way we teach it uh, is through what I call um, vivid imagining, which is a, a term that was um, created by uh, um, Dr. Eckhart Altenmuller, a German flautist and um, mm. neuroscientist who's been working on aspects of our performer's health. And he called it vivid imagining um, because I guess it, it, by saying vivid, it really shows you how um, if you do it in this way, it's very strong. It's very real. It's very, you feel like you're actually mm. experiencing it. And, and then the word imagining, um, because for musicians, uh, we need to be able to hear things as well as feel them. And mm. so also we might see something. So we might imagine the music in front of us and then imagine the feeling of playing and what that sounds like. So we're really linking together um, the senses in a very sort of immersive way. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's the primary way uh, that we teach the visualizing success in terms of vivid imagining um, during your practice. And also you can, you can do that away from your practice. Um, and I can explain, if you like, in more detail how, how yeah. Um, we do that. Yeah, um, I'm interested to know that. Yeah, okay. Um, and just the secondary part of that, uh, which is not necessarily um, lesser at all, is the vivid imagining of the performance context and focusing on feeling confident and in control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's a, um, a separate... Um, imagining if you like from um vivid imagining during practice mm -hmm. so um visualizing success um during practice so for example an instrumentalist who might have their um, violin or their flute or they're playing the piano um they would usually be practicing uh with the music with the score and 
so what we encourage them to do is to not play their instrument but to look at the music and firstly sing the music out loud and um, gesticulate with their body the, mm -hmm. the kinds of feelings and emotions and um, sort of by gesturing like you would as an actor gesturing the feelings and so on as they sing that's to build up the in it's it's sort of build up the uh, sense of the feeling or emotional content of the music mm. then um, they can um, stop singing and gesticulating but um, imagine that singing and gesticulating so internalize it mm -hmm. and then move their fingers on the instrument without actually um, playing but just imagining the sound they want imagining the feeling they want and moving the fingers at the same time um, and then you know as a third step okay now um, you can close your they can close their eyes they can pretend to play the passage without moving their fingers or gesticulating or, or singing externally so everything is internalized um, and, and it's made strong by the process of externalizing first and then gradually bringing it inside. Mm. Um, yeah, and then if that's, you know, um, going well, and you, you do it with a short passage, you wouldn't say, uh, I'll take a whole concerto because that would be way too difficult um, and too challenging. You say, well, I'll... I'll imagine um, the first phrase. Okay. Yeah, okay. And then after that, after you've done that, then you actually play the first phrase. Okay. Um, yeah, you bring it to life um, from your inside self, from your inside feeling and uh, this strong imagining that you've done. Um, so that's very, very powerful. It means that you can stop any time during practice and say, well, I'm not really happy with this passage and how I'm playing it. Um, so how do I how do I really want it to sound? What do I really imagine it being like? Mm -hmm. um, and that's building it up from that side. Yes. And so when there's this imagining process going on, uh, the the performers drawing on past times they've played it or having heard others play that piece of music. Like what what a what is one drawing on to, to use as the, the focus for the imaginal experience? Yes, I think that the focus is definitely on a memory of uh, expressive music making. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it means that when you have very like beginner students, it's, it's, it can be a little bit tricky for them to do that, but you could sing it for them and then, okay, okay now you sing it with me. Okay. okay, what what do you think this this song is about? What do you think this uh, this little piece is about? What does it how does it make you feel? So you can start to sort of draw out, even in young ones, it is possible, you know, you, you draw out the sense of the the story that comes from the music, the emotional content of the music. Mm. Um, yeah, and then of course singing brings us uh, back to something that's very um, natural, you know, from when we're very little. Um, 
most children really enjoy you know expressing themselves through singing so it 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 clears all the the impediments away that for example the technique of the instrument might be impeding us but now we sing and we feel free and um that helps to uh get into that space so i think you're right it is a it's a sort of memory of things we've heard before or um ideas like even knowing how how does what does classical music sound like you know <laughs> to have an idea uh -huh. um of, of the tonal system of classical music for example or the phrasing system um and then yeah, yeah exaggerating um those elements that's yeah, a very detailed and structured process and um how do you find that uh when you're teaching this process um how do you find the students respond to this well the thing that i find um really most interesting is that if you ask the students particularly the ones i'm working with mainly which is upper high school and university students you ask them about what's going on in their inner world with their imagination um it's already um, up and running um, and the only issue is that it's often on a kind of negative way so for example uh, imagining they're going to make a mistake or here comes that hard bit that i know that i can't play or you know it's this sort of um uh thinking about how i'm not good enough and it's somehow not going to work out mm -hmm. um, is a very common experience uh especially i think in uh classical musicians where we're required to be very very exact mm -hmm. so anything that isn't exact is therefore perceived as um, a kind of failure on our mm -hmm. part mm -hmm. um, so the fact that this this on um, you know imaginative life is, is already well alive in the students um i think that they're they seem to be very happy to find a way to channel it okay into a positive way to make it a positive experience and to um to personalize it uh for their own circumstances um so for example we might if, if i have a class of students and they're not playing their instruments so we're just you're talking about ideas um we will just say okay well, we're just going to do a little uh vivid imagining a uh, practice now and select a little phrase in your mind you might be able to see the music in your mind um you might not you might just remember how the music goes mm -hmm. and then we'll do some breathing so i'll get them to relax with three deep breaths make sure their body's really comfortable almost like a sort of preparation for uh, a meditation if you like um, so that they're they feel at ease and then we'll start to build up the imagination of the playing just very slowly uh, sort of note by note adding the notes um, at their own pace so they can start to feel more confidence in in what they're doing mm -hmm. um, and we we start with just simply imagining playing those notes so we don't um, impose the um, emotional substance 
on it from the beginning with this idea. We just say, okay, just see if you can imagine playing those notes and just nice and slowly and nice and easy. And then when you get to that end of that um, little segment phrase and you come back and maybe you just slow it down even more and see if you can add some more details to it. So imagining how your fingers feel when you play, what the sound is exactly like. And we do it the second time and I, we keep encouraging them to do it slowly. And then the third time, come back again. And then this time, add on as much musical expression as you can while still playing really slowly. Um, so we teach them not only, if you like, the, the vivid imagining, but we teach them how to feel positive and confident while they're doing that. Yes, that, that confidence comes through uh, quite strongly in, in what you've been saying here in terms of, um, you know, what has attracted you to flow and, and, and when you're teaching and what you've learned. I'm talking to other performers. Like, I think you referred to it as a crisis of confidence. So it, it really does um, seem that confidence is a critical, critical uh, psychological aspect um, in music performance. I think, yes, I think it's extremely, extremely important and um, because we may have practised, you know, and left sort of no stone unturned, if you mm -hmm. like, during our practice. But if we don't have that sense of inner confidence and inner calm about what we're doing, mm -hmm. um, we can suffer under performance pressure. Mm. So the, the imagining really helps with building up the the inner world yeah. um, yes to to feel a, a sense of control over uh, what what you're doing and I, I sort of see it a bit like um, it's a bit like shining a light so if you imagine it like um, uh, having a, a guiding light so you're in you know it, it's night time and you're in the bush or the forest and but you've got a really really high powered torch or flashlight and you can shine it on the path ahead of you and you mm. can you know you're controlling the light as well mm. not you know you're the one doing it and um so as you're walking ahead you you can see where you're walking you can see the whole wood on all the trees and you can see the ground as it's coming uh, as you're coming along so you know where you're putting your feet mm -hmm. um, and I think that visualizing really helps with that when we're performing, because when we're performing, we're always sort of in motion, if you like, because the music is always um, moving forward in time. There's, there's, there isn't a point where we can sort of say, well, look, I might just have a little break now. <laughs> you know what I mean? like you can't say well actually you know i'm not feeling too flash so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll have a little break mm -hmm. no, it keep, it keeps moving so having mm -hmm. that visualization and, and you're walking you've got that light you know where you're mm -hmm. going all the time it's mm, a great analogy and this vivid imagining is that used quite widely in in the teaching and, and learning of, of music for performers I don't believe that it is used very much. Um, I think that a lot of the the top 
players, um, you know, as in soloists and so on, they would be doing a lot of it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I think within the, perhaps the more conventional teaching of classical music, I don't think it's really played a big part or a big enough part. And I think mm -hmm. that that's why um, students begin to suffer already when they're say at university, a sort of that crisis we we're talking about, mm -hmm. not being able to see the way and not feeling that they've got something, um, you know, unique to offer. And, and that's how so many people end up in the profession, uh, having those uh, negative experiences. Um, so my, one of my sort of, you know, greater aims, if you like, is mm -hmm. to help, help kind of expand the teaching of, of um, visualising success or, or vivid imagining. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because I yeah. think, it's, yeah, it could be really valuable. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. And so the person who came up with this technique was from Germany, was that right? Uh, yeah, it's his. It, yes, it's his terminology, and I, I don't know whether he sort of invented the idea or whether you know, like a lot of ideas, he sort of um, was able to pull it together into this form from mm -hmm. somewhere else. Um, but his name is um, Eckhart E C K A R T mm -hmm. Alton Muller A L T E N M U L L E R. Okay. Um, and, and interestingly, um, in 2016, Anders Ericsson, uh, who was the person who firstly talked a lot about deliberate practice and the 10,000 hour right. yeah. rule that people um, have latched on to a bit, he, his book uh, called Peak from 2016 talks a lot about mental representation. Um, as a way of achieving uh, expertise. So the concept of mental representation, whether it being in chess or, uh, you know, basketball, and he, he, his studies have also focused quite a lot on music. So I think there's a fair bit of sort of support for these concepts now uh, coming in from different sources. And do you think that, um both of these people sound um, European in background. Do you think that in in Europe um, this is uh, seen as as more part of of what happens when one's learning and and trying to become a better performer? Do you know if there's better uptake in Europe, for example? Um, yes, I've been to Europe quite a bit myself, um, teaching uh, in this area. And I've noticed that they're, they're highly receptive to the ideas because they're already sort of facing more in that direction. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, for example, in uh, Finland at the Sibelius Academy, which is one of the very top academies in the world um, for studying uh, music, they have a whole health for musicians program that they run. And it's very comprehensive uh, involving you know meditation and a whole range of different things and um, they have a musician's doctor there who um, mm. yeah it's really interesting who's um, helping everyone to understand about the neuroscience of um, music mm. uh, yeah and so I think you're right I think uh, Australia is has become more interested in probably the last 10 or year more 
or so years. Um, and I think it will take off probably even more over the next while, yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you find that there's receptivity at the conservatorium to these ideas that you, you seem to be having, you know, a big part in introducing and developing this uh, perspective? Uh, yes, I think there's a lot of excitement around it, actually, um, because I think the staff members realise that uh, they need some more support, if you like, for what they're doing um, in the one-to-one in the -one lesson. They need the students to be getting information from other sources as well uh, to help them develop more fully and uh, reach their potential. And the students... Um, start to feel very aware of their own nervousness and their own um, fragility, if you like, uh, during the university years. And uh, so it's a sort of perfect place to be able to start um, bringing these ideas and, and showing them how, how to think more positively. And um, I've started recently... Uh, practice coaching so I've I've become a one-to-one a -one practice coach at the mm -hmm. university mm -hmm. um, so that any students who run into a little bit of a, a brick wall which can happen or start to feel uh, that their motivation is lagging or they're not improving as much as they'd like um, can just make an appointment and then I'll have a look and see what what they're already doing mm -hmm. um, and how that's working or, or not working for them you know what their teacher has suggested they need to be doing or any other influential sources um, that they're getting information from and uh, pull it together and look for gaps or, or flaws um, in the system that they're using and uh, I'm yeah I'm really really um, excited about that idea because like with uh, flow techniques um, these things are can be individualized and need to be individualized really i i believe mm -hmm. um and then can be uh also instigated across time so as a student's changing um they might need of course something different so yeah. they can come back again and say well i did this and it worked but now it's not working and mm -hmm. um yeah so it's this constantly evolving process exactly yes Yes, that's right. And it is it is very personal. And I think especially where people are suffering, it's like that day I was telling you about with my colleagues from the orchestra, you, you can admit these things to people that you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not necessarily going to admit it, say, for example, to your peer group, if there's a lot of pressure mm -hmm. to, to um, perform and to perform at a certain level. Mm -hmm you might not feel comfortable about sharing with your fellow students. Actually, I'm, I'm really not feeling good about my playing or, mm. you know, and so it gives a kind of safe space, either running it within a course where everyone can just listen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they don't have to share and explain their difficult experiences. They can just, you know, learn some new positive ideas or they can come on a one-to-one -one and um, we can just sort of tease it out where I'm, being respectful of their inner world yeah yeah and maybe if we just personalize to your inner world um if that's okay because I know a big part of, of what you do in the music world is, is perform 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about is this how you, is this the way that you teach, how you also incorporate visualisation into your performance? And, and you've obviously been performing for quite a number of years. Has that uh, uptake and, and how you use visualisation or vivid imagining, has that changed over the years? Uh, yeah, I'd just be interested to hear about your experience. Um, yes, it has changed a lot. Um, when I was younger, I, I didn't know, hadn't been taught anything about visualization or vivid imagining or mental representation so I think I was sort of making it up a bit as I went along um, in the sense that when we play music we always need to have a sense of what we are about to play so we need to have some kind of uh, imagery there otherwise we really can't you know advance through the music um, so obviously I, I had a system that was working to, to a certain degree. Um, otherwise I, I wouldn't have been able to become professional. However, if you ask me, well, what, is that, what was that system? I don't think I could really explain it because I don't think I was clear on it myself. Mm -hmm. I, I think mainly looking back what I used was recording myself. Okay. So I'd play, yeah, I'd play and record myself and play and record myself. And um, that does build up a, an, an imagery. Um, yeah. However, yeah, however, it's very dependent on um, factors such as um, your capacity to notice in the recording uh, what isn't exactly how you'd like it uh, so there's some flaws to that um, that system anyway I, I won't go into that now but I, I do think looking back um, that worked to a certain uh, degree however if I came across things that I found really challenging to play I didn't really have much to draw on and I would be really afraid and scared because I'd know that I can't really play that. So I'd be sort of bluffing to myself. And, and sometimes I would do things I can remember now, like I would avoid practicing those bits because nobody wants to feel that their failure is thrown in their face, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have the techniques, then you, you don't know how to get around that sense of failure. Um, so when, when I was in the orchestras, I... I was, I think I was in a bit of a struggle in the sense that uh, if I was playing well and the piece, you know, piece was going well, I, I felt I was on top of it, I was fine. But anything that came along that was a bit out of my skill base, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what to do about it. And so when I uh, started learning about, um, especially the sensory side of flow, how how I could start to feel more immersed in my practicing um, by focusing more on the senses, on the sense of touch, for example. Uh, so not just the hearing that I was doing before, but now mm. adding, a, adding a lot of sensitivity um, in the touch side and then, and then realizing that the um, emotional side of expression really need to connect to that. Uh, that started to make a huge difference. Um, then I also 
became aware of the explorative nature of mm -hmm. flow um, because with classical music we're replicating music that's already been mm -hmm. written so we're not creating it we're recreating it um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we feel a bit or can feel a little bit uh, stuck because we can feel like well there's only really one way to play it and I need to sort of copy that way which which isn't really true but because we're not creating it um, we feel a little bit locked in and when I started to realize look you know I could explore my music I could sort of like muck around with the music and and I could improvise off the back of my classical pieces to discover things about the music mm -hmm. and um so in other words I could do it differently rather than just playing from A to B and uh you know trying to do my best I could actually say well hey you know I can just relax I can just what do I feel like doing with this passage I could play it backwards I could mm -hmm. make up a tune based on it I could think of you know three different stories that went with it and play the different ones and see which one I like the best you know that kind of thing um, that started to liberate me and I started to notice that these, this, these difficult sections or, or even difficult bars that I might have been coming up against before, I felt more positive. Like I think I could maybe do something with that to make it easier to play, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yes. So uh, obviously I, look, I think look back now and see, well, what was happening was I was actually building my skills up with these different tools uh, so that I could overcome the challenges, you know. Yeah. And I was sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about the flow model there with, um, you know, the challenge skill balance and it, it, it definitely does seem like you were moving out of an anxiety channel into the potential for a flow channel at least by building a skill set to meet this ever-increasing challenge which I uh, I hear you saying you're, you're finding in music because the better you get, the more complex the piece will become and, and so on. And, um, and so it does sound that um, you were really building a skill set and part of that skill set was visualising it, but more than visualising it, using as many senses as, as you could to, to help it become something that you could really connect with. Yeah, I think that's right, like an, an, a more immersive experience. So I think that's why the senses, the sensory immersion and sort of body awareness aspect helped me uh, really initially and then the exploration. And then it wasn't until uh, after that that I, I came to realise that, um, that the vivid imagining could kind of bring all that together, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, I could see how um, it would bring it all together for you. Yeah, and then you see one of the things about um, classical music, as as with many physical pursuits, is that you have a, a constraint of of effort. So there comes a certain point when, well, you really can't keep playing uh, because you're going to be exhausted right. the next day. Yeah. So when you're practicing, there's a point when you just say, okay, well, actually, I really don't feel like I can physically continue now, um, or, or even mentally. Sometimes the the you know the the effort um, of mentally as well. So with the with the visualizing, I realized, um, okay, I, I'm doing things differently when I'm actually practicing and actually playing my instrument. But now when I'm away from the instrument and I'm not actually playing it, I can build up this this whole world that I've been 
um, working on and I can increase it a lot, um, you know, in the hours when I'm not playing, of which there are quite a few because usually we don't play for more than four or five hours a day. So there's a lot of hours left over. Uh, and we, we tend to, as musicians, have these things called sound worms, which I, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, of. I have yeah. not heard of that, no. No, well, well, actually, it's not just musicians, but I'm sure you would have them as well. But where you, you might hear a tune or that's a tune that you like or something, and then your, your mind, uh, your internal um, audio, audio system, your audiation, we call it, it, it keeps playing that bit over uh, and over. Yeah, yeah. You know, sort of like a broken record, you know, where's a little, <laughs> little scratch in it. And yeah, just, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So so these sound worms in musicians um, can be very strong and they can go on all the time yeah. when you're not playing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you sort of realise, and as what happened to me, I started to realise I can use these sound worms. I can use the fact that I'm still being a musician all day, even when I'm not playing. And I can build up this huge um, inner world um, based around my imagining and, and ideas and exploring and that feeling of being immersed. And, and that's when things really started to change in my, I think, not just in my playing, um, but more particularly in my attitude to playing. Oh, yeah. Can you clarify what was important in the attitude? Uh, it became I began I began to have a sense that maybe anything was possible mm. um, or at least a, a real openness like maybe I could play that section mm -hmm. really fast and it would be really feel really easy and clean or maybe I could play this um, slower phrase with you know a huge amount of expression and dynamic range um, a, a sort of sense of hey um, I think there's more there <laughs> where, than there used to be, you know, I've, I'm drawing it out more. Mm. And so having that feeling um, and doing that during practice and when you're visualising, you, you're sort of having a, well, you're having flow experiences, you know, and then that means you're developing a habit and a kind of mindset. Um, yeah, and then when you go into performances, um, you still have that sense of, hey, anything's possible and I feel really positive and I kind of immerse myself in this experience. Um, so it becomes like rather expansive where now what was a kind of immersive thing inside yourself now um, comes to envelop the mm. whole group you're playing with and the, into the whole audience. It sort of, it sort of stretches out, if you like, to it, it feels like it includes it, everybody else. Wow, that sounds very powerful. Yes, and I think that that's when my career really began to change um, mm -hmm. because then I felt, well, if if it's really, if I feel really powerful, I feel really in control of everything, then I'm no longer afraid of things. So you really found a, a key to unlock the confidence uh, um, component with visualisation and imagination. Yeah, I think that's the primary part of that really that really did it. Because also you can imagine as a musician you have your own part, but you can imagine all the other parts that are playing as you play. You can imagine how it would be feeling to be playing in an orchestra with all those parts going on. You know, you can imagine 
what it's like to be in that venue dressed in your favorite you know clothes um mm -hmm. uh you know at that time of day um like e everything about it um so it becomes yeah just a big a kind of world inside yourself if you like that you can just imagine everything possible about your own experience hmm. yeah how, how has this perspective that you have grown into how has that facilitated uh, or helped you to understand flow experience um i think it's really helped me with other things um that i do because firstly i'm realizing most importantly that it is possible to enjoy everything <laughs> so <laughs> and it sounds a little bit sort of you know naff or whatever to say um but to understand that where you might have if be fearful about something or have a bit of trepidation that actually you can create a reality where positivity is possible hmm. something I like, like that. that you can create a reality where positivity is possible yeah it's basically it's it's up to you to it's up to you that that, that is something within your your control and sometimes it means accepting things as they are accepting um you know accepting a difficulty or accepting something and and not um trying to you know fight or struggle or feel negative about it other times it might be about um looking at the the challenge that you're facing and reducing it you know into into manageable tasks you know mm -hmm. sort of using strategies to say well i can actually i can actually make this much more enjoyable and much easier for myself um, than it seems you know and then you've you've slowly developed that the kind of habit of doing that and every time you start to feel stressed or something you just think well hey hang on you know what am i actually stressing about you know and um can i look at this differently <laughs> so yes i think that's had a big really big influence on my life right so more than your music life or music performance um, on your life more broadly yeah definitely on my life more broadly as well because when I became interested in it, I started reading the works of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and of course, a lot of the examples are are, you know, in different types of activities. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, um, as we know, all about music. So then I could start imagining myself: oh, I'm playing tennis, or I'm, I'm doing my maths, or uh, whatever. I could start sort of imagining myself in those situations when they come up, and what would I do? and how would I, could I do it differently? And mm -hmm. so it becomes a kind of like a, I guess, a kind of way of living. Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of flow, do you experience flowing in different um, areas of your life? Uh, yes, I do. I, I do a bit of art as well. And um, I find that that's, um, can be a real flow experience. Mm -hmm. I also um, enjoy sport, but I'm not what you'd call like sort of sporty. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's more like um, I'll get in the swimming pool and then to think about, okay, uh, you know, my overall aim is um, getting fitter. Mm -hmm. And I know that I don't 
really love to swim laps or whatever. So what could I do today that would work on my fitness, but I could also in, enjoy it as I did it? Mm. You know, that kind of attitude, mm-hmm. like, okay, I've got this goal, but I, I'm not going to thrash myself here. And then because tomorrow I'm not going to want to come back into this pool. Yeah. If I do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I know that's what might happen. So I'm just always sort of trying to balance, um, balance things out. Yes. And have enjoyment really up there in the priorities. I think enjoyment is, would be my main priority because I feel that everything else seems to come out of that. Mm. Whereas it is potentially possible to, um, to have a different attitude or I'll just, I'll, you know, say as we were talking about before, I'll take this goal and I'll reduce it into smaller parts. But if that's not enjoyable, I don't feel for me, I don't feel like that's flow. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's an analytical approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so the enjoyment um, on a, on a deeper level, not on that sort of superficial level, but on a deeper level, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really am enjoying it or I can imagine myself enjoying it if I do it like that. So that's, yeah. that would be my primary thing about everything. So I go okay. to play a concert. My primary aim is to enjoy it. And if my wow. primary aim is to enjoy it, then I'm going to want to prepare really well because that allows me to enjoy it. You know, I'm going to want to turn up a bit early because then I'm not running there at the last minute, you know, because uh-huh. that wouldn't be, wouldn't be enjoyable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So everything sort of comes back to that to ask myself, well, is that going to be enjoyable if you do it that way or that way? And, um, and somehow that seems to work for me. Mm. And um, you obviously experience flow quite a bit in music and in other areas of your life. What, what is it like when you're experiencing flow as, as a musician? Um, I think the main thing is you feel like you just have an, an infinite amount of energy. Mm. Yeah, both physically and mentally. And my instrument, the oboe, is known to be quite tiring. So it requires a lot of stamina. So to have that experience of, you know, it might be a long concert, but I get to the end and I think I'm not even tired. I could just play that whole concert again. Really? Is is like, yeah, an amazing feeling. Like, you know, wow. <laughs> it's like <laughs> incredible. Um yeah, and then, so that would be the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing is that you feel that you're very uh, able to be very spontaneous um, in every way. So you be able to be very quick to react to what's going on around you and also very quick to react to your own um, uh, emotional response um, because that all goes hand in hand. So something's happening in the music and now you, you need to respond in a way that's um, complementary. So someone else is doing something, you hear it and then you need to immediately respond. Mm-hmm. And I find that that sort of being in the moment when you're experiencing flow just allows me to just, you know, literally go with the flow. I can just do things very quickly and very easily things that maybe I've never even done before, like a way of playing something that, never practice it like that I've never thought of it like that but now in the moment that's what's required for the music and then I just do it well it it sounds like you are very much in the moment incorporating um having clear goals and then and taking on board feedback um in a very 
immediate fashion and, and as you are aware clear goals and, and unambiguous feedback are, are critical to being able to experience flow it sounds like you found a way of um, being so in tune and connected with what you're doing and what others are doing that you are able to to have that clarity um, about and purpose in what you're doing yeah I think that the the feedback is really crucial and I think that when you when you're a bit stressed um you know as in other activities you you kind of block off other people a bit and other things because you very you know you sort of shut down a little bit mm-hmm. so um when you're in in flow you don't have that experience you you feel very open and you feel very free and therefore you can respond to that feedback mm-hmm. really really quickly um and and I think what goes hand in hand with that as a musician is if you're not if you are if you're underprepared um, then you tend to be stressed. So that then means you you, you can't really experience uh, much flow because you can't be in that spontaneous space. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so um, that's why I think um, practising um, with the flow ideas and the visualisation, all of that, is what then allows you to build up that flow world. So when you go in, you're actually well prepared you're enjoying yourself and you're open. And the um, being well prepared is allowing you to trust in your ability to be in the moment and then to be responsive to what's happening. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. And I've had some concerts where I've been, well, quite a lot of concerts actually, where I've been booked at the last minute. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so having these and then you get the music and you have to maybe a night overnight to to learn it uh, before you have to go in um and so having these um this flow sort of skill base Mm -hmm. um means that you can draw on it very very quickly as a as a method if you've practiced it enough it's like any other method i guess uh you know it it requires skill in itself you know that you, you keep doing it and you keep doing it so that when the moment comes, when you don't have much time, you can quickly activate um, the ideas and learn the part and you can still feel, you know, maximum positivity for that situation. Wow. Is that um, a usual um, challenge for new musicians at the level you perform at that you may be called up at the last moment? So you've talked a lot about how preparation is key for you to to feel like you can trust Um, and it sounds like, sometimes you have to really condense the amount of time that you have to prepare. Um, is that somewhat unique to yourself that you get called up at the last minute because you are able to respond effectively or is that something that a lot of musicians have to face? Uh, well, interestingly, at the early part of musicians' careers, they're often free, what we call freelancing because they don't have a permanent position yet. And that's at the time when they're actually not as skilled so that can be very very stressful as as a young musician Um, however I'm at the other end where I've had a um, a, you know a very successful career in the orchestral environment in chamber music in solo so I I can trust in my capacity uh, to play and to have the technical um, Mm -hmm. technical necessities Um, so now I'm a freelancer um, so really my task is to um, maintain 
my preparation for playing every day. So I have like a, a routine, you know, of um, technical exercises and different things that I do to keep my playing um, standard up. Okay. So that when I get that, get that music, I'm ready to go. It just minimizes the amount of preparation I have to do on that actual part itself. Okay. Yeah. So you, you are maintaining this concept of being well prepared through your regular discipline practice. Exactly. Basis. Yeah, exactly. And you get a sort of set of set of things that suit you to practice. So, for example, um, I like to practice uh, all my scales because then that means no matter what key mm-hmm. uh, the piece is in, I, my fingers I'm I'm on on top of it, you know, in that way. And then I like to practice um, flexibility um, exercises because. Uh, the hardest thing that you could really get is something that's either technically fast or uh, something where you have to leap around the instrument, so up to the high notes and down to yeah. the low notes and so on. And okay. so uh, flexibility uh, in your playing is is a really important aspect. Yeah. And have you ever struck times where due to injury or um, situations where you've been called up at the last moment, you haven't? had the ideal physical preparation and have you uh, utilised the skill of of imagery in those situations so that you may be relying more on mental practice than than the actual practice, the physical practice? Oh, yes. Um, Yes. In fact, really it's marrying those two together because uh, let's say it's the day before and then you're required, you know, to learn a whole whole part. Like recently I had to... um, Learn, learn a whole part in a half day it was a, a Strauss by uh, a Strauss opera called Ariadne Alf Naxos the, the first oboe part which is um, well known to be difficult and uh, some of those very difficult passages I have practiced um, over the years because they appear in these difficult passages books oh, <laughs> so, <right. laughs> yeah so someone very kindly got all the <laughs> passages together from all these different things so okay that you sort of know okay those ones I need to uh, remind myself how they go but then um, in a very short space of time I'm trying to get my head around a whole opera Mm. Um, so I was using a combination of um, listening to recording Mm -hmm. watching the opera being conducted so Mm -hmm. I could see uh, the conductor and the stage mm-hmm. um, and then alternating that with my own um, practicing so sort of building up the visualization the oral sense mm-hmm. of what is it what is this meant to sound like I looked at I got the whole score so everyone's parts um, mm-hmm. off the internet so I could see how my part related to all the other parts um, and so in a matter of you know six hours or something I felt like I pretty much know this opera. Wow. Yeah, it does sound like you really are combining physical practice and mental preparation. Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. Very, very important, yeah. And then like the way that you're using mental preparation is you're really tapping into different aspects of, of the performance mentally from an imaginal perspective, you know, in terms of, having the score listening or watching the conductor and, and so on and um 
yeah, it sounds like you've really found um, a process that's very effective for you. Yes, it can be. It can be really, um, really quick and really deep as well, you know. And then, for example, with the opera, you have the the lyrics, you have the the narrative, so you can use that to help you to know uh, expressively what you need to be doing in that exact moment when you play your solo. Um, so there's a whole lot of different aspects that can be bound bound together to make a whole, mm-hmm. and and that doesn't mean that I wasn't um, afraid in the mo- in the first morning when I went in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was because I knew even a six hour preparation time that's not much at all, um, mm. you know, uh, to to be able to play uh, to play an opera. But um, it it had to be enough, you know, and you make it enough. So I I got up early in the morning and I went over bits again and listened to them again, looked on the score again, practiced them again, got into the you know venue early okay start practicing the bits again like just maximizing maximizing um the time that you have it sounds like you've really um found a great formula of of discipline and trust like combining those two things yeah and i think i think um the discipline comes from knowing what works so um it's hard to be disciplined if you don't have like you say trust or faith in in Mm -hmm. the methods that you're using Mm -hmm. um and i think with with visualizing and uh and other flow method like you know sensual immersion these types of things i know that they work so that gives me the discipline um to go okay okay if i do this i i listen i look i play i listen i look i play i imagine you know and okay keep going keep going on a kind of rotating kind of system you know um until it all comes together and makes a whole i know i know it works um and then of course once you get into a rehearsal scenario uh where you're hearing the sounds and they're right next to you and you're looking at the conductor and so on well that's building it up even more so you you've just uh, done your preparation you know in such a way that you've started this this possibility of a journey that mm. you can then continue all the way through, all the way through. Um, and then if I have multiple performances of the same work, I just say to myself, imagine this is the only performance that you mm. get of this piece. Mm. Um, because otherwise it can get a bit like, well, I've got 15 performances and, you know, then I'm not mm-hmm. really concentrating, you know. Mm-hmm. I just say, no, this is the one and only in your mind so play it like it's the one and only Mm. and do that every night no matter how many nights it is well Eva it sounds like you've certainly found uh, a formula for success um, as a musician I've learned so much by listening to um, these techniques and approaches that that you use for your own performance and then also in sharing with students that you teach is there anything that um, we haven't touched into yet in terms of the visualization and the imagination um, as as a performer and as a teacher i think there's just what we mentioned a little bit before is that i think for each person it's it's a really personal journey so for some people you know sensory immersion might be the thing that really sets them on the flow road you know for other people it might be um you know that joyful sense of discovery um and 
you know, I just think with the visualizing success, you know, to think about it in terms of, okay, I'm an individual, um, you know, and what, what works for me is what really matters um, mm -hmm. in the end and to sort of see visualization like that. So I'll often say to the students, look, if you need to visualize more slowly, visualize more slowly. If you feel like it's going too slowly, speed it up, you know, like just don't feel like you have to just do it a certain way um, only because in classical music, there is that, as I said, this kind of traditions of, you know, you know, this sort of sense that hangs over us a bit of there's only one or small number of ways it's kind of right or correct. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to sort of break out of that, you have to just sort of say, well, you know, um, I'm going to discover what works for me. Okay. Yeah. And that's I'm sure, fair. yeah, I'm sure that's providing uh, a great sense of freedom and, and confidence to, to those that you, you're working with as well as um, helping yourself to have optimal performance. So, um, yeah, it's been, been amazing to, uh, to listen to your journey and um, I really appreciate you sharing with us. I think that the depth to which you have applied the possibility of visualisation and imagination is, uh, is really quite extraordinary. And um, I think that people in, in many different um, avenues of performance can benefit by, by hearing uh, how you, you've incorporated this, this skill into what you do. So um, it's been great to, to speak with you. And, um, and once again, thank you very much for, for sharing, sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, look, it's just lovely to have the opportunity to do it. And I just hope it helps as many people as possible. And yeah, that everybody enjoys what they're doing ultimately. Um, that's it. That's, it's not really a secret, I suppose. It's just, yeah. it's just, a, it's just a, a way of living. Well, I think that's come through very strongly how important enjoyment is. And I think that's probably going to be a really uh, big take home from, from this uh, discussion. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much too. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you.